Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we'll discuss some of the great moments from the very moving David Stern Memorial Service on Tuesday in New York. We'll also talk some NBA and college hoops. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Thanks, Darlene. Your intros are the best. They are second to none, my friend. Before we get going into today's podcast, we got some news on Wednesday morning that strikes home, particularly here in the Washington, D.C. metro area. The legendary high school basketball coach and Team USA coach, Morgan Wooten, passed away. He was 88 years old, so I am one who believes in celebrating a full and impactful life and Morgan Wooten certainly led that. Um, His most famous high school victory, 1965, ending the 71-game winning streak of Power Memorial Academy out of New York. This guy, Lou Alcindor, was like a 7-2-footer. He later went on to be known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was on that team. It was sort of a big deal. Um, And then overall, you talk about 46 seasons at the helm of DeMatha, obviously, he gets the credit for making DeMatha High School basketball what it is known as today. I was fortunate enough to have opportunities to interview Morgan Wooten. He was so gracious, so kind. On the 50th anniversary of that victory over Powell Memorial, I actually did a piece on him and the game when I was working at local television here in D.C., WJLA 24-7, which was formerly News Channel 8. And he was so gracious. He opened his home, which is right here in Hyattsville, not far from DeMatha. Um, There's trophies galore in his basement. Um, He's whipping out yearbooks and um, scrapbooks of sorts where there's clippings from different newspapers. And he was just so warm. And the details that he remembered from that game, obviously very vivid in his mind as basketball has been the passion of much of his life. We know that he went on or a lot of his players went on to be pros in the NBA, future coaches as well. Um, and so that DeMatha family is super tight-knit and something to be admired. Um, we certainly wish his family well, you know, as they mourn his loss and know that they have tons and tons to celebrate and be proud of. So my thoughts and prayers are with the Wooten family, with the DeMatha basketball family. And it is truly a privilege to say that I had an honor to meet Coach Wooten. Now that that is out of the way, um, and I'm sort of smiling, thinking about just how dope he was as a person and all that he accomplished, we're going to move on to current basketball issues, including this week we celebrated another major influence in the world of basketball. Um, Our producer, 
and loyal sidekick, Bruce Bernstein, is going to join the pod, and he had the opportunity to attend the memorial service for the late NBA commissioner, David Stern, on Tuesday in New York. Um, Bruce, I know you had a relationship and friendship with David Stern that stretched back 17 years. I want to know how that started, and obviously, you've got to give us some details on what I'm sure was a beautiful and touching ceremony. Thanks, Monica. Uh, David Stern and I first started knowing each other back in 2003. Uh, I was working at ESPN as the coordinating producer for NBA studio shows, and that was the first year ESPN got the contract to do games, and part of the contract involved doing the NBA draft. And as we all know, the commissioner of the NBA comes out and announces all the draft picks. So they needed to assign somebody uh, to work with the commissioner to basically be attached to him during the show, to be the liaison between the producer and the truck and the commissioner, so that when they went out there to announce the picks, um, somebody was in charge of the commissioner or the commissioner producer, if you will. So I was selected, and the very first time I met David was the first night we worked together. So uh, it was interesting to say the least. He was a very demanding person. He wanted things to be done his way. But underneath it all, he was very professional. And as I would come to learn over the years, as you said, we knew each other for a long time. As I started to learn over the years, he was a really, really tough, demanding guy. But underneath it all, he was a really, really nice person. Uh, and that was one of the things yesterday uh, during the uh, ceremony that really was reinforced over and over again. So we had our bumpy moments here and there. Uh, he yelled at me some of the time. Um, but other times it was funny because the people who worked for him at the NBA really were very, I guess you could say, afraid in many ways. But I used to joke with some of the NBA people backstage. I said, you know, I'm the only person that gets to boss David Stern around because when I would be working with him during the draft, he used to be conducting a lot of business in the green room during the draft. Uh, you would all see him walk out to the podium to announce the pick. But behind that curtain, there was a gigantic operation of business going on. There was guests, there were sponsors, there was owners, there was agents, there was players, families. So he would be talking to very important people. And there would be times I'd have to like interrupt him and say, um, we got to go out and say the pick because there was a whole thing with the, when the card came up with the picks. So he might be talking to somebody like an owner of a team and I'd have to sort of elbow my way in there and say, uh, David, you know, we have to go out. <laughs> so it was really, you had to be aggressive, but you had to be discreet. And I think part of the reason that we got along so well was somehow or another, I managed to do that without being a jerk. <laughs> you, Bruce Bernstein, had the privilege of bossing one David Stern around. I never wow. made that joke with him, by the way, because I knew that it wouldn't have gone over well. But in later years, I'll, I could tell you another story that, that really... It hits home for me as far as our relationship, because when I became a free agent after my 32 years at ESPN at the end of 2017, I called his office and I asked, I said, you know, David, I would really like to come down and talk to you. I kind of told him what happened. I could really use some big brotherly advice. So he's there. Yeah. Talk to my assistant, Linda Tossi and work it out. 
So I came down and I figured, all right, you know, he's going to give me like maybe 30 minutes. Well, we ended up sitting together for well over an hour. And a lot of the stuff that we talked about was not about how I was going to move on in my career after my ESPN time, but it was just like friendship type of stuff. And it was really so touching and, and meant so much to me that this guy who we knew, you know, knew for a long time, really cared about me as a person at that point. And it's something I'll remember for the rest of my life. And I just, I'm incredibly grateful for that relationship. That response to him seems to be the commonality. Um, I, I, so it's, it's interesting, Bruce. I have a friend of mine who is a columnist for the Shadow League. And while he celebrates a lot of what David Stern did, I think one of the things that he feels strongly that we not forget is the branding of the league around the time the dress code was implemented and the way that we responded to the malice at the palace, which was a scene that no one wants to see in sports. Um, and now granted some, we do have friends who seem to always take a particular stance on an issue and approach it from a singular angle. Um, but he just, he, his thing was, while David Stern did a great job, let's not ignore what could be seen as missteps. And for me, the responsibility of what is now a global league with men from all different types of walks of lives, whether you're talking about coaches, training staff, or the players themselves, to me, to be able to navigate that space as well as he did, of course it doesn't mean that every decision you make is well-liked or is perfect. Um, it's just such tremendous vision. And then to add a layer that you hear stories like what you have to share, that he was a person, right? And not this commissioner of the NBA, but was a person that made relationships and looked out for people. To me, I mean, a life well-lived and accomplishments that deserve commendation for sure. The whole dress code thing, it was interesting because when he did it, a lot of people saw it as like, you know, impinging on the players sort of freedom to be who they were. But what ended up happening, ironically, is now when you see some of the the result of that dress code, every time you watch a, a national game, and even if you're watching a local game, you see the players, they do the arrival shots when they're coming in from either their car or the bus. And when you see James Harden rocking some crazy outfit, or you see Russell Westbrook, you know, it's... It what it turned into was the players realized, okay, we have this dress code, but we can make this our own now. So they became fashion icons in many ways as a result of it. So the players themselves, I think, realized, all right, we have an opportunity here. We're not going to wear torn jeans, whatever. But and I mean, look, James Harden is a fashion icon, right? I mean, people want to wear his clothes, people want to look like Russ. And then, so really, there's always sort of a silver lining, right? We love this whole silver lining thing. It's part of the whole identity of buckets, boards, and blocks, right? Indeed. <laughs> and, and so there's a good example of it right there. For sure, for sure, for sure. Now, I know, Bruce, that our family of podcasts here at Pure Hoops Media, Mike Wise obviously had an opportunity to chat with um, David Stern. At the time, no one knew that he would be leaving us soon. Um, but now, in kind of retrospect, 
Is there anything from that pod that particularly stands out, Bruce? Well, one of the things that Mike asked him, and I get a little bit emotional even sort of thinking about this, but one of the things, one of the things, the speeches yesterday, all right, or or uh, Tuesday, I should say, uh, was Pat Riley was one of the speakers. And Pat was talking about the first time that he met David Stern. And, da- and, and it was not a pleasant meeting. Pat Riley had criticized the officials. He had all this analytical information about how this ref called this many fouls against him and not the other team. So he felt the refs were uh, not treating his team fairly. And he thought he was really smart. He had all this analytics and he had it, he said it publicly and he knew he was probably going to get fined, but he didn't really know exactly what kind of damage he maybe had caused. So David Stern summoned him to New York for meeting and Stern absolutely ripped him a new one. He said, you're selfish. How dare you? You're you're commenting on in a way that's damaging to the game. It's not about you. You're selfish. So when Mike and I were with David in uh, for the podcast in November, Mike had asked him, "Do you have any regrets? Uh, do you wish anything had gone differently?" And here's what David Stern said about that at the time: If there was a if there was a regret or a strong regret you had that you wished you'd either dealt with or Dealt with better, what would it be? Well, in an interesting way, you know, number one, I think that anytime you have a lockout or a strike, it's a failure. Right. Type stuff. But number two, I was, uh, I was a little bit easy on coaches. Really? When they began, you know, like Phil Jackson and Pat Riley, anytime one lost a playoff game to the other, they would invoke, oh, the league office wanted us to go this way or that way. And I probably should have suspended them. They were accusing because you of basically were, f- fixing. Well, aside from that, they were feeding the notion to our fans that there was something less than up and up about the officiating. Yeah. And, I, and, the, the, and the Donaghy, the Tim Donaghy thing was one of the, you, I mean, you were... You were you, you were bothered by that like few things. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting to be sitting in your office when the FBI comes in to tell you you've got a referee that's betting on games. That's like, holy Moses. But but the coaches, and I and I wrote, used to write it off or laugh it off and say, listen, if you're not crazy when you become a coach, you get to be crazy. Yeah. And at playoff times, the moon gets full and these guys are baying at it. And so I said, okay. I'll, I'll move on, maybe slap a fine or something. But uh, I think that contributed to the notion that refereeing was a problem. And it's interesting to note that Adam has worked very hard on systematic approaches to refereeing. Um, yeah. But he still hasn't stamped out the sort of the easy statement that it's easy for members of the media to make about a particular call or a particular game. And that's, that's, that has its own corrosive impact. So really David Stern probably should have come down even harder on Pat Riley than he did, but Pat and certainly Phil Jackson should realize that even when David Stern was extremely upset with them, he understood the pressures they went, they were under as a coach and they should be grateful that he gave them a break and didn't suspend them for some of the things they said. 
Heavy is the head that wears the crown. <laughs> exactly. That's, oh, man. Oh, man. So you mentioned, though, the memorial, Bruce. I mean, anytime an event is held at Radio City Music Hall, this person is a big deal. I mean, who, is it appropriate to ask who all was intended in attendance? I'm not saying that this was like, ooh, the event to be at, but it just speaks to the legacy and how many lives David Stern impacted. It was absolutely packed. I'm not sure the exact capacity of Radio City Music Hall, but it's obviously in the thousands, okay? It was packed with Hall of Famers. Uh, you know, Bill Russell, Oscar Robertson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Akeem Olajuwon, Dikembe Mutombo, um, Bill Walton, Yao Ming, Jason Kidd. I mean, um, the... the uh, the Lakers are were in town to play the Knicks on Wednesday night, and I think many of them showed up too, so they were active players. And the vibe in that room was simply love. It was all love. There were so many, you know, different speeches that that really took you, you know, showed you a part of this unbelievable man that you never really had a clue about when you just kind of observed him from a distance. Mm. Magic so Johnson, by the way, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what Magic Johnson said. One of the things that kept coming up over and over again by different people who were speaking was his humanity as a human being. So everybody remembers when Magic Johnson announced that he had HIV at the end of 1990 and, and he had to retire. And David Stern flew out to Los Angeles for that press conference. When you look back at the clips of that, you see sitting right next to Magic, looking up at him as he was speaking, was you know, David Stern, among others. And Magic said, at my time of need 29 years ago, my commissioner turned into my angel. Okay? Magic wow. had tears coming down his cheek. And he told some other great stories about how David wanted him to play in that all-star game after he retired. And then he was the all-star game MVP. And Magic said, literally, that saved my life. To be able to have, be a part of the game again and to be welcomed and embraced by David Stern, it really saved my life. And he talked a lot about how over the years he would run into David at, at various events, usually at all-star weekend. And, you know, Magic would be there with his wife, Cookie. And, you know, it was always a big embrace with David. And David would say to Cookie, you know, is this guy doing what he's supposed to do? Is he taking his meds? Is he doing his things? And Cookie would say, yes, he is, David. And so David would, like, you know, wrap his round, wrap his arms around Magic and, and feel him say, you know, don't gain too much weight. you got to keep yourself in shape. He'd, like, wrap his round arms around him to make sure that he was in good shape. And it was just, like, the embrace of, like, again – like I mentioned, you know, the big brotherly advice or the fatherly advice. And that's how David looked at magic. It was like, you know, one of his, you know, it was family. You know, that's the whole thing with David. The NBA was family with David. Yeah, wow. And calling this man your angel, that is strong praise. And I'm sure I can only imagine how difficult that was 29 years ago for Magic Johnson. One of the things, though, that I personally can say that I'm very, very grateful for David Stern's role in would be the WNBA. And first, the first WNBA president that I remember is our girl, Val Ackerman, who I love. She's great because now she's my fellow Big East um, 
I don't fellow Big East what? I'm a Big East girl. She's the Big East commissioner. She has been one that has made calls on my behalf as far as the media industry goes. But Rewind, when I first met her, I remember being like, Val, I just want you to know I'm fangirling a little bit because I remember you as the first president and commissioner of the, or first president, rather, of the WNBA. I know she had an opportunity to work closely with David as far as the WNBA getting it up and running. Um, What did she have to say about him, Bruce? Val Ackerman had a wonderful speech. She was, she, the emotions were very close to the surface, but she really held herself together well, although you could just see how broken up she was in talking about him. She was the first president of the WNBA, and she said, as far as his importance to supporting, you know, giving birth to the league, supporting it, David was the most important figure in the women's sports movement since Billie Jean King. Okay. Um, She said that David told her so many women's sports leagues have gone out of business, but one of the things that they were all most proud of was that the WNBA is still in business and it's thriving. And it's so funny. She, I hope everybody understands that what I'm about to say word was a quote from Val, but she said at the end, we broads truly owned, owed him. (laughs) Because <laughs> she said that's kind of how he would have how he would have said it, right? But she was um, unbelievably, you know, appreciative. And everybody who loves the WNBA should realize that if not for David Stern, it probably wouldn't even have existed. And over the years, when you know the money was tight, he made sure that that league stayed in business. So all WNBA fans really should be grateful that he was there to help you know, create the league and, and continue to allow it to grow. 100% such a visionary, such a legacy for sure. The WNBA is sort of a starting point for this idea of true diversity and inclusiveness and an example of those things with some depth. I know that those were things that David was passionate about, Bruce, and what other ways was that evident by his leadership. One of the people who was chosen to speak was Rick Welts, who is, uh, was hired by David at the NBA. Rick is uh, a out gay man, has been for a long time, but he just talked about how David uh, always supported him. Um, he always, you know, ran the league with a, with a, a moral compass as well as a business plan. Rick lost his partner back in the 1990s. um, And, you know, he was in the closet at that point. Um, But David somehow or another knew that, that Rick was gay. And when Rick's partner died, um, David sent a check to this foundation that Rick had set up with a very large donation. And Rick said, I had no idea he even knew that I was gay. He didn't care, right? It didn't matter. He was a good, smart man and somebody that, uh, you know, David always wanted to have smart people around him. So it was just, you know, it was very moving to hear that perspective on things. And just... We all, those of us who knew him a little bit and those who observed things, we always sort of knew that that was important to him. One of the, one of the, you know, he always wanted the player, he always respected the players and he respected the people around. So um, you just, you know, 
it, it, it was a privilege to know him. Everybody in that hall, you know, there were lots of tears, but there were also lots of smiles. So um, he got the send off that he deserved. He'll never be forgotten. And, uh, you know, basketball uh, owes him so much. The game we love and the man that many of us loved as well. So now we're going to turn the page in our pod to sort of in the news today. Um, this week's episode is rolling out on Thursday, January 23rd. And unfortunately, Bruce, I think the headline, period, and of course in college basketball, it probably will take a backseat to the Super Bowl, would be the melee that happened on Tuesday night in Lawrence, Kansas, between rivals Kansas State and Kansas. Mind you folks, you probably know by now, the game was pretty much decided. Dejon Gordon of K-State steals the ball from Silvio D'Souza. Attempts to lay it up on the other end, D'Souza with an emphatic block and then a standover and then mayhem. Gosh, what looked like a miniature. No, that's not fair to call it a miniature Miles at the Palace because to my knowledge, there were no fans involved outside of them trying to get out of the way. Anyway, melee ensues, Bruce. And now we're all kind of looking like, what now? That's a bitter in-state rivalry. And as you correctly described it, the game was over. Um... Yes, people say you should play to the final whistle, but at some point, the K-State coach, I think, told his guys, listen, it's over. Just let the clock run out. So the player for K-State went for the steal. D'Souza took exception, blocked his shot, stood over him. Uh, You just hate to see that stuff. I mean, it's like the game was over. And even if the game wasn't over, it's like, come on, guys, you're better than that. And, And it's just... You just hate to see it, and it, you hate to even have to talk about it, but it happened, and we'll have to see what the uh, penalties are uh, coming down. But uh, can we move on to something more pleasant in college basketball? <laughs> um, we Maybe we should try to reach out to our guy, Myron, here next week as the penalties are are leveled. But you're right, Bruce. Let's, let's keep it moving. Um, I'm jumping a little bit here jumping from college basketball because on Wednesday, January 22nd, the great Zion Williamson, Bruce, is slated to make his NBA debut. Um, Let's just rewind, though, because I did not know this until last week. I was actually in New York for MSG. Um, And the J.J. Reddick podcast in which Zion admits that if he had had his choice, he would have just stayed at Duke. And then we get the videos of him falling asleep on the bench last week. And now he's going to make his debut. And I'm just all torn up for poor little Zion, but I guess I shouldn't be because his bank account probably makes it all okay. <laughs> By all accounts, he's a really, really good guy. Very engaging. I mean, I, I saw him at the draft, I, you know, I was working, and he just had this permanent smile on his face. He seems like a guy who really just enjoys playing. And I just hope, because he's, you know, we talked about this on previous shows, he's carrying around a lot of weight. And when he and he's a good jumper, like Mikey, overtime Mikey last week was talking about how he's got great jumping technique and everything. All I want from Zion Williamson is to see him be healthy. I worry that when you're moving all that weight and you're jumping that high and you're coming down, that you could be susceptible to injury. And I just and we saw how the number two guy in the draft, John Morant, is off to an unbelievable start. And I just hope that we're not looking at echoes of that 2007 draft when Greg Oden was the number one pick and Kevin Durant was the number two pick. 
And Greg Oden had an injury-plagued career that didn't last very long, and Kevin Durant's going to the Hall of Fame. So I just my, – my biggest hope for Zion is good health and, and success and continue to have that joy of playing the game, and we'll all keep our fingers crossed for that. 100%. I agree with you. I know New Orleans is excited. I know the entire NBA is excited to see him back. I actually was – in Vegas to catch him for a half a game this summer. And it was definitely a sight to behold, something to get excited about um, before the injury, obviously. I will say no pressure, but maybe a little bit of pressure because I was listening to Adrian Wojciechowski about a week ago, maybe. And he was saying there's a legit scenario where the Pelicans make a push to be that eighth seed out of the West because there's so much talent at the top. And then those last three, four C's, like you may see teams with records that are not traditionally what's required to crack into the playoffs. And so I'm a huge fan of Josh Hart. Shout out to our fellow DMV brethren. I have a great story about how I got hemmed up with the Secret Service trying to get an interview with Josh Hart. But anyway, um, long we got to get, get him, Monica. And he's got to tell <laughs> us that stuff. Crack down, Josh. We need to do that. <laughs> um, his teammates, Lonzo Ball, though, Brandon Egram, obviously having some big-time moments here as of late. I I hope it's not pressure for Zion to be the, the piece that takes those guys to the next level. But, I mean, if he can stay healthy, to your point, and we get a Pelican squad sneaking into the playoffs, who wouldn't love to see that? People can't wait to watch him play. I mean, because really – if you think about who are the some of the most hyped guys coming out of college, the hype around Zion was probably the most that we've seen since LeBron James came to us straight from high school back in 2003. And obviously, you know, it would it's highly unlikely Zion Williamson is going to have the kind of career that LeBron James had because LeBron James is probably one of the top two or three players ever to play. So the bar set pretty high there, but just, I love watching guys play who you can clearly see love to play the guy, you know, Kemba Walker is one of those guys. When you watch Kemba Walker play, even when he gets nailed to the floor and goes to the foul line, he, he bounces up with a big smile on his face. It's like, I love, we, we all love watching guys who have that, that joy about being out there. So, uh, and as far as expectations with new Orleans, I mean, look, he's already missed half the season. We're past the halfway point as far as number of games played. So I think at this point, you know, New Orleans has actually done pretty well. Like you said, Ingram has been balling. Lonzo's even hitting threes once in a while. Uh, Drew Holiday is a great player. Alvin Gentry is a really good coach and uh, I think a good coach for, for Zion. So I feel like whatever New Orleans achieves this year is gravy. And I don't know what the... I mean, they're good enough where they're not going to get one of the top five picks. So it's not like, you know, once you get down below the top five, it's kind of iffy who you're going to get in the draft. So they should just play. And if they make the playoffs, great. And if they don't make the playoffs, you know, start it up again next year and, and let Zion, you know, work on his body and, and getting healthy going into next season. Agreed. Now, I know I mentioned that we were bouncing topics a little bit, so hang in there with me, folks. I want to jump back to a fun announcement that came out on Tuesday of this week that ESPN will air the Final Four 
on its main station this year, the women's final four that is on ESPN um, this year. And it will air the entire final four, the entire 2020 final four and the first and second rounds of the women's championship will be on the ESPN family of networks. I want to shout out Carol Stiff at ESPN. I know she had a huge hand in making that happen. I honestly, it's crazy because as we're having all of these moments, Bruce, where we're seeing women's sports and diversity and inclusion at new levels, I guess it never even registered to me that the women's final four wasn't on the main E, but I'm certainly excited to see that it will be there this season. It's really, it, it almost feels like we're coming into this golden age of women's basketball, college, WNBA. Uh, you know, the Olympics are coming up later this year in Tokyo. That team is going to win the gold medal, I would assume, because they always win the gold medal. Um, you guys are stars, man. I mean, you you know, look, ESPN is a business, right? They wouldn't put that Final Four on on the main network just to be nice people, although Carol Stiff, I know her very well, is a wonderful, wonderful lady and one of the most important figures also in the history of women's basketball, uh, a great, great lady. But ESPN's putting that game on there because they figure fans want to see it. And fans want to see it because it's good quality basketball and the teams and the coaches and the players, they deserve to get that shine. I agree with you 100%. And the way that we wrap the pod, that news is definitely my bucket this week. Give me more of women's sports on the main stage. And and I can't wait for this year's WNBA season to begin because all those injured players that were out last year, I mean, the, the league had a great season. You know, Deladon and, and Jean-Quel and all those great players that did well. And now Skyler's going to be back and Stewie's going to be back and Sue Bird's going to be back and all these great – I mean – I look for the popularity of the women's uh, basketball, college and pro, to just keep getting better and better and better. And I'm so glad that we're on it and and doing our little part to sort of share what we think about it. 100. Especially you. I mean, not so much me, but you. I mean, you're the you're right in the middle of it all. 100 percent, Bruce. And it's been such a fun year. I've obviously been bouncing between the ACC network this year. Um, I've got Big 12 action with Fox Sports 1 and Big East action. And I got to say, um, the Big 12 has some strong teams. I think West Virginia is very good. I had an opportunity to check them out in person. I think Texas can be good. They've got to find a little bit more consistency, but I think they've got scoring inside and out. Um, and the ACC, I cannot get enough of NC State and Alyssa Cunane. Just know that name, folks. Like, she's going to be great. She's only a sophomore. Um and then in the Big East, I think DePaul is poised to have a historic year. So where are we? Today's the 23rd. What's coming up next for me? This weekend, I go to TCU for Women's Big 12 action. Next week, we're back in the Big East. Obviously, ACC in studio with Elena Beard, who's such a beast. We have such a fun, so much fun on our Thursday night women's show. So it's been quite the season on, on all fronts for me. It's been great. To quote Monica McNutt, 100%. <laughs> All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thank you always a ton to our producer and loyal sidekick, Bruce Bernstein, who had incredible inside access um, to the beautiful David Stern Memorial Service. And obviously, Bruce gave us lots to smile about and lots to think about in regards to such a life well lived. Um, thank you also to our wonderful editor, Ben Wolfen, 
please be sure to check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. The Mike Wise Show drop, drops each Monday. And Mike actually had the opportunity to do the last interview with David Stern. Um, you can listen to those shows if you want to hear some of David's very poignant thoughts about his career, the league, and life in general. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin releases a new show each Wednesday. The Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman drops each Friday. So please subscribe to all of our shows, listen to them, rate them, review them, but most of all, please enjoy them. And of course, you know I round out the game. Every Thursday, we've got a new edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with yours truly. So my friends, until next time, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 